Hi guys, my name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. We're officially in the 50s, 51, episode 51, my God, I'm so excited that for the last 51 weeks, I have made sure that you have gotten an episode of Legally Clueless and not just like random episode, one that has my most real, raw and genuine feelings that has like beautiful African stories, some that even had your voice. I need to start getting you guys to send me your audio notes again. Let me write that down because I forgot about that. But yeah, so I'm, no, seriously, I was writing. I am (laughs) really excited that Legally Clueless has become such a beautiful space where humans can connect. And I know I say thank you all the time in all the episodes, but it's just because I genuinely feel that. So flashback to last week's episode, I told you Monday was my late mom's birthday. So I was already like super nervous about my emotions and where I would be. Would I just want to stay in bed crying all day? And so especially days of the year when I know my emotions could go either or, especially on days related to my mom, I always restrict my responsibilities on that day. So even Monday, I restricted my meetings to one meeting and my responsibilities to only that meeting and putting up an episode of Legally Clueless. That was all I needed to do in the day, just in case I was super emotional or I just didn't want to interact with people. I was like, this is all I can handle. But it ended up being a really good day and I ended up signing a partnership that I know will be very impactful. Oh my God, I can't say anything more about it just yet. (laughs) And you know me in secret, so let me just stop talking about that now. But I think that now I have allowed myself to feel my emotions. It took me a long time because it's very scary to confront your emotions and to allow yourself to feel, right? So that's why we end up like bottling them up. Um, especially when it's emotions that come with tears. Tears are scary. Scary for you who's crying. Scary for you who's watching someone you love crying. You're just like, oh my God, how do I change the situation? I have, especially through grieving my mom, learned to be quite at peace with tears and allow myself to feel. So not to say that the first time that I've ever cried was after my mom died. I've cried in the past. I've cried because of heartbreak. I told you guys about that first relationship when I found out that guy was cheating on me. I really cried then. Obviously, I've cried in every other relationship after that. (laughs) I've cried while my mom was going through chemo and radiotherapy. And every time the cancer came back, I definitely was crying. Before all of that, I've cried because of my dad and his really abusive ways. But the tears I shed for all of those moments do not compare to the tears that I've shed for my mom. Like when I cry about my mother, it's tears. It's like pain in my midrib. Yeah, so like my stomach area. I almost have to like hold myself. This These tears come with sounds. It's so weird. Like a bit of a wail. Sometimes it's loud. Sometimes it's not so loud. It's just a really different experience crying for my late mom. I remember her memorial. So we did, I don't know if you listened to the episode of Legally Clueless where I shared my performance at the Moth in New York. 
and that story was about my 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 mom and my family and I putting together her memorial. But anyway, after we had done the graveside prayers, I remember I collapsed into tears. My aunties, of course, were there to like comfort me, which was brilliant. My husband was so shocked, speechless, stunned, because I think he'd never seen me in in that situation before, because of course we were not together when my mom passed away. And I cried. I cried by her grief for maybe close to an hour. Mm-hmm. Didn't run out of tears. <laughs> like I just kept going. And I remember afterwards, I felt so relieved. It was like crying was like an emotional shower. You know what I mean? Like I just felt cleansed and like, whew, I could breathe. And so to date, when I feel like my emotions are conflicted, especially to do with my mom, I kind of like jumpstart my tears. I even have a playlist. Song number one is her favorite song, which is Pata Pata. And I try and get the, the, the tears out. But long story short, last week, I never cried. <laughs> I know. I was so sure. I was so sure it was going to be a day spent crying. But I, I, I was down. For sure, I was down, but I didn't cry. I didn't feel like crying. So it wasn't like I was bottling up my tears. I just didn't feel like crying. But it was an emotional heavy week just because, you know, during the week, there were a lot of conversations on rape and rape culture going on. The University of Nairobi released this memo after a couple of female students had been raped. And the memo was so horrible. It was like victim blaming. It was just normalizing rape. And whenever I see those things... I don't realize how much of a strain emotionally it is on me to constantly be talking about rape until it becomes emotionally straining. You know what I mean? So in the moment, I don't feel it. But then this week, I just felt drained. And there were stories popping out of different survivors just sharing their experiences. And it was it was a lot. It was a, a, an emotionally draining week. But those are necessary conversations. And I just don't... I haven't figured out how to <laughs> take step back and take care of myself as a survivor so that I can be more effective as a change maker. You know what I mean? I don't even know if I have the privilege to do that. I'm still trying to figure that out, but yeah, it's just it's 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 tricks. But another emotion I don't know, I'm sharing my emotions of the week. <laughs> um but I have to say this because I'm really battling with it. During the week, someone did something very vindictive to me that made me very angry. And for a long time, I've known that anger is an emotion that I do not know how to process. And even to be able to communicate that you're angry, you kind of need to process it first so that you know this is anger, blah, blah, blah. Through therapy, I, I think it's probably linked to growing up in a home where my late dad communicated anger through shouting and and violence, blah, blah, blah. And so I attached a lot of negativity to the emotion that's anger. Instead of saying he communicated his anger negatively. I'm still battling with that. So I, I, I don't know how to process anger well. So what I do is I either lash out, especially if I know I'm in a safe space. <laughs> I'll either lash out, though I'm trying to like control that. Or I will not talk, not do anything because I'm scared of hurting people around me. I cut off, like 
I ghost so well. <laughs> when somebody makes me angry, I ghost. Ah, I ghost. And that's exactly what I did this week. Like literally just was like, block, block, block. So I was so angry this week, guys. So angry I couldn't even sleep. And that's huge for me because I sleep anywhere, anytime. I Like I, I don't struggle with sleep but i kept tossing and turning during the night waking up thinking maybe i should unblock them and send them another long message but i understand that i am struggling and i have been struggling for a while with processing anger it's just such it's a very scary emotion to me yeah i would never want it to be communicated the way my 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 dad would communicate it to my mom but I'm working on it. At least I'm aware of it, senor. <laughs> but a highlight of this week is I got to hang out with my best friend, Val. You all know her. She's been on the podcast so many times before. And we had lunch at my favorite restaurant, which is Ankole in Nairobi. They have this chicken meal that is so yummy. And I can never remember the name of the meal, so I can't tell it to you. So you can go and try it out. I, I can't remember the name of the meal. <laughs> That's how you know this is not sponsored. <laughs> But yeah, so we were meeting up so that we can prep for our big, big project this Sunday. So this Sunday, which also happens to be International Women's Day, I'm celebrating it with Val and you are so invited if you're in Nairobi. We are going to be hosting a talk at Two Rivers Mall at 2 p.m. on the first floor right outside LCY Kiki. And what's happening is something that Val and I have never, ever done. She's going to be interviewing me. She's going to be asking me questions about my life. So from grief, which is interesting because we both lost our mothers to breast cancer, to changing my career. I can't wait to be frank about the entire resigning process, especially the emotions around it. Um, with you guys because Val was there like front seat for since 2016 <laughs> when I was thinking of leaving my job and so it would be so nice to just be 100% honest with you. Um, we're also going to talk about purpose and what does that look like trying to figure out what my purpose is in life. Do we ever get to know what our purpose is? And heartbreaks. Oh my God, during the lunch when we were preparing, it was so interesting to just think about some of the relationships I've been in. <laughs> we ended up talking about this one that was really a rebound. <laughs> but of course, Adele being Adele, um, everything has to exist in the constructs of a proper relationship. I like forced this thing into a proper relationship when it was really a rebound we had a few laughs over the nonsense i've been through and put myself in <laughs> when it comes to relationships so i think it's really going to be such a real frank conversation you know what i mean and i hope that by the time we're done even you who comes we end up having some sort of rapport or like a budding friendship because I'll have let you into my safe space which is my friendship with Val so it's this Sunday I'm so nervous 
nervous, but I'm also so excited. I can't wait. I can't wait to see you guys. Two Rivers Mall in Nairobi, 2 p.m. First floor, right outside LC Waikiki, and it's absolutely free. So just grab all your best friends and come through. On 100 African Stories this week, I'm so excited for this story because I've never heard this particular storyteller be this vulnerable. And I've known her for a while. You probably also know her. I love that she speaks about... You know, like when you're in the limelight, everybody has this idea that you have money all the time, which couldn't be further from the truth. And there's almost this expectation for you to always front that you're thriving financially to keep away from that expectation is 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 a pressure it's hard right so i love that she brought that out and also spoke about fear like when you're launching a project there's so much fear that is attached to it because this is your baby and then you're going to share it with the world and it's like what if the world doesn't dig it it's how i i I tell you all the time before i upload an episode of legally clueless i'm always like who the heck is gonna give a damn about this who wants to hear about this topic that i'm talking about it's it's this self-doubt and fear that right when you're about to launch or start that project it just kind of engulfs you Anyway, she talks about it so, so well, and I just love how vulnerable she is. I hope you enjoy the story. 100 African Stories. There is no proper life that you live in university as a musician. If I constantly just walked around feeling sorry for myself, I'm never going to get anything done. Uh, there was a bit of frustration in between all of that. I've been breaking my back for this company. Therapy is not for the weak or for the crazy. Stories from Africa. I hope by the time I finish sharing this, I'll realize that I'm not so clueless. <laughs> I miss Mandy, but um, my government names are Mandy Saro. I am a media personality. I share stories uh, about food on the internet. I am from Kenya, uh, the 254, to be more specific. I currently reside in Nairobi. I really love it, despite the traffic and the potholes. (laughs) Years ago, when I moved back home, I didn't think I'd be doing the things that I do now. Like... I moved back home eight years ago. I had studied communications, and I just wanted to make it in radio and TV. I started off as an intern, and I never got the chance to get that radio show until I got an invite from uh, Kimathi of Jamhuri Ware to be part of a panel where WizKid was on it, Vanessa Day, and Wanuri was a director. And that's how I got a call from Olivia Otieno to tell me, what are you doing there? Oh, my God, you should totally come in for an audition. And... So began my career in radio. And moving back home was very, I want to say, difficult for me to some extent. Mainly because um, I had been away from home for so long. I was in Toronto, Canada. I had studied there. I'd moved there when I was 14. I had completely immersed to that um, culture, I want to say. Not to say that I wasn't connected to my Kenyan culture. But I didn't sound like how people sounded back home. So I consistently was told a lot of mean things about like accent but you're only good for like radio you're not good looking enough to be on tv or you feel like you're better than us because you have an accent you feel like you're better than us because you grew up abroad you feel like you know more than us and it was interesting because i just wanted to move back home and just immerse and and really like love on this country that i left i battled for the longest time trying to prove my kenyanness to Kenyans. And it was interesting because when I was in Toronto, I had to prove my Africanness mm-hmm. 
to other people. They used to ask me, say something quickly in Swahili, and you're just saying hippopotamus, and you're like, oh my god, it's a, I, I don't know, nguruwe. You, you say something. And then you move back home, they ask you to speak Swahili because they want to see if you're actually as good as them. So I quickly had to ad- adjust, and then I created a rule for myself, which was, you know, they say, when you go to Rome, do as Romans do. And I said, just because you're in Rome doesn't mean you have to do it like they do. You just need to navigate being around them. So I applied that heavily. So I took a lot of comfort in sharing my food online. I didn't, this is so interesting, I'm having this conversation because now I'm realizing that. I took a lot of comfort sharing my food online because it was my safe space where they couldn't take nitpick on things. So I used to make sure the food looked neat. To be honest with you, how Miss Mandy's Redown started was I posted a picture and it still exists today online, and I just added the hashtag Miss Mandy Throwdown. It was never planned. It was never a strategic meeting. I just felt comfortable sharing what I cooked. And now that I look at it eight years later, this, this hashtag birthed like this other side of me that I didn't know existed. You know, this extra creative person with food, this person who can tell stories, this person who can be on TV telling stories with food, this person who can still exist on radio and still do all the other things that they loved. So I want to say that I I feel like Kenya has done so much in opening up my eyes to see which other talents are hidden within. So I feel like already Kenyan food isn't aesthetically good to look at. However, I was really pushing myself to make sure it was aesthetically good to look at. And it was just like my form of defense mechanism to be, one, liked, Mm -hmm. but to be, two, not to be picked at. So that was my defense mechanism. I was like, if I put together good-looking food, there's nothing you can say. Mm -hmm. You'll say you love the food. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, though, um, this whole gap of are you Kenyan enough, are you African enough, Interestingly enough, like when I moved back, the more other Kenyans picked apart at my accent or, you know, thinking that I was projecting this, that I was better than them, it just forced me to be friends with people from the diaspora. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you were Kenyan, lived in the diaspora, and you moved back home, I am your friend. Mm-hmm. Because you understood me, you were not going to pick apart at me. If there's anything, I really just wanted to connect with people who were not going to be mean to me. As much as I was, you know, putting together all this food on all these plates, it was interesting that now it started to attract all these people who wanted to label me wife material. Because food is a very important component, I mean, globally, but now in Africa, it solidifies you as a woman. You are an an African woman. (laughs) She's just like, nah, I just want to eat. Like, good food, (laughs) it's not about you. It's never been about your ego. This food journey has really opened up my eyes to see how people consume us. It's interesting that I still remember to date the first ever time I cooked something and people fell in love with it. I remember that feeling and it was courtesy of Kenya Power Lightning Company. Can we say that? Yes, yes you can. <laughs> because of the lack of power, I remember. <laughs> so I, I used to hang out, out uh, with my mom in the kitchen a lot. Like I used to just be curious about food. Then one day she says, oh, she called the house phone. She was like, I think you should be the one to make the matumbo today. I was like, oh, okay. Challenge accepted. Matumbo is tripe, for those who may not know. So I got into the kitchen, whipped up the matumbo, the tripe, and the power went out. So the food got rewarmed, put on the table, everybody's eating. And my uncle, I'm pretty sure he doesn't remember this, but I do, um, says out loud, ah, I'm going to translate for you guys, ah, ah, became matumbo. who has cooked this matumbo? I was like, oh, it's me, Mandy. He said, Munyongeze. They were just like, you have to add for me. It's yeah. just too good. And I have never forgotten that memory. You know, 
the minute somebody falls in love with what you do, you never forget when they give you your flowers. Because you're just like, wow. And it made me feel so good. It made me feel so confident. I think I was like 12 years old. Do not think of it as child labor, okay? (laughs) The second time that I really completely fell in love with food was, or fell in love with this journey of food was, I was in Mombasa, I think for a trip with work and this journalist walks up to me and she's just like oh my god I interviewed your dad the other day and I was like okay he's like your dad speaks so highly of you he thinks you're so amazing with food and I was like what because like yeah you know I've always encouraged my kids to think that uh, food is just like art they can do it in any form of way and I was like yeah my dad used to say this imagine your father is giving the flowers he should be giving you (laughs) but to another journalist who ends up giving them to you that really made me feel like, oh, wow, at least my parents are not sitting at home wondering. So she moved back. Do you think she's going to move back into this house and try to figure this thing out? So it felt really, really good because, I don't know, it's weird. When your parents approve what you do and they don't think you're just mindlessly doing it, kind of tells you you're on the right path. Um, I think for me, some of the most important memories that I have of my childhood is one thing... <laughs> that all of my male cousins say (laughs) we had just moved back home so this is eight years ago we had just moved back home and we're chilling with my cousin and he says to me is your dad gonna be at this family gathering i was like yeah he's like damn it that means we have to cook and i was like what's wrong with that he's like man the one thing your dad taught us when you guys were abroad was you got to learn how to cook for yourself and I was like explain it to me more he's like one day I had come home I found he had put on the table some ugali which is fufu and some omena fingerlings yeah and they were on the table and some spinach as well and I walked into my cousin said he walked into the house and went to his room my dad knocked on the door and was just like excuse me you also live here the one thing is you got to learn how to cook for yourself and my cousin was like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, you got to learn to cook for yourself because it is important to feed yourself, you know? It is not something you depend on another woman to do for you or another person. You have two hands. I have brought the food, and now I'm teaching you how to fish. And I find it so interesting because whenever we go for our, our family gatherings, a lot of the men are the ones grilling, the ones chopping up things. A lot of the staff that we have hired in our upcountry are men who do all of the work. So I don't usually get the concept when people say to me, oh my God, it's a woman's job. I'm like, have you, have you met my father? Yeah. Like, it's everybody's job. Everybody has to eat. And he's always been so open-minded. I remember growing up, I hated eggplant. It's called mbiringanya. It sounds even worse than Swahili. Mbiringanya. And it's so crazy that now I can cook my... I, of course, I cook it better, but I cook my eggplant the same way my dad does it. But more flavorful, of course. But it's so crazy that I'm just like, the one thing I grew up hating. <laughs> the day I realized Miss Mandy threw it on as a thing was when I got a call from uh, Cherubet Foods. So they make boiled beans, boiled maize, and they stock them in uh, leading supermarkets. I got a call from them, and they said... Actually, it was the daughter. Her name is Tessie. She says, hey, Ma- Miss Mandy, with, my mom has this company. I think you should come on board, help her like with a little bit of styling, and you can influence. So when I gave out the quotation, I was just like, I don't think she's going to say yes. It was for $800. Yeah. I'm going to have to say that. And she was like, yeah, sure, we'll sign off. And I was like, hold up. Someone pay me $800. You can't touch me. So... There is a good thing that happened with this and a bad thing. 
The good thing is I was motivated to now start pitching Miss Mandy Throwdown. The bad thing is because influencing and digital marketing hadn't really blown up here, it was kind of like shooting yourself in the foot. So I walked into this heavyweight giant retail supermarket and I said to them, I want to meet with the marketing guys. So we're like, fantastic. I go meet with them and I say, I'm Miss Mandy Throwdown. Have you not seen my numbers? I only had 8,000 followers, guys. 8,000 followers on Miss Mandy Throwdown account. And I say, I'm like really a big deal. Like, I was very overconfident in that meeting. I, I always look back at it. I'm like, I need to channel that girl's confidence <laughs> continuously. And the guy said to me, so currently, um, our own product line has penetrated into the market by 4%. How much do you think you'll be able to help us penetrate into the market? I looked at them like, what does that even mean? <laughs> penetrate into the market. We just knew if I came by, I told you, I can post recipes, you'll pay me. They were like, yeah, so your document was incomplete. All you showed us was your profile. However, we're into numbers. Okay, we're into data. We don't understand what this is. I was like, yeah, but I can do recipes. They're like, that's not enough. We're looking to penetrate by another, if not double, by at least 2 to 3%. So where do you think you and your audience falls? Mandy with her 8K audience was like, I don't know. I, don't know. I left that meeting humbled. Humbled. Why? I felt stupid. I felt like, how could you not know these details about your business? How could you not know how to defend yourself? How could you think people are just going to give you money because you have 8K followers? Because huh? you've posted their brand once. Now you think, think they should give you money. Essentially, I think that was the time now I started to become much more serious about Miss Maddie's Throwdown. I became now extremely like addicted to learning the data. Like, how do I collect the data? What does this data tell me? What is my percentage of women versus men? I could not afford being stupid again in another meeting. I didn't have all the, even if I did my research, I didn't have all the information, but I at least knew 96%, the 4%, I'll give that to you. But I was not allowing myself to walk into another meeting feeling stupid. I had spent 800 shillings, which is $8, from my house to that meeting thinking I was going to score it, I was going to leave with money. I spent another $10 back, no money, checked schooled, humbled. Oh my God, man, there's been so many memorable moments that have stood out to me. When I was sitting at home, I was extremely broke, but hey, Miss Wendy Throwdown was good, doing good, perception. Um, then I get this email that says, hey, Miss Mandy, uh, we're very keen on partnering with you to go to Thailand. I was like, I get to go to Thailand? So that completely changed my life. And straight from that, I remember I had just been contracted by Lamu Festi Food Festival. So I went from Lamu to Thailand. And then I got an email now from Senegal. So it was back to back to back. And I was like, okay, we're on a roll here. But it's crazy that when I was in Thailand, I was broke the first ever time because I was just like so excited to go. But I didn't know how to make more money to go. Yeah, to have it as pocket money. Um, I'm much better with money now than I was with money then. Then I, I was living with a roommate. So when she ended up leaving, now I was faced with all these bills. That's how I ended up being broke. Now I'm just like much more of like track your spending. I'm more or less like let's block shoot. Back then it's not to say we weren't block shooting, but now I take block shooting much more serious. I know a meal, I know I need to prep like three hours before. So when he comes, when the photographer comes, it's just like bang, 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 mm -hmm. shooting. I also know how to use one product three ways. Like, mm -hmm. 
as opposed to like before we used to shoot rice and you have to make another rice or you put the stew too early when you could have shot that rice with something else. So I just had to learn the hacks around it and I apply them so well now. Back in 2019, I'm saying it like it's so far. <laughs> in 2019, I decided to launch my first ebook. Now it's interesting that I keep thinking about how this ebook idea got birthed. I was hanging out with Nancy Moy, and I remember she said to me, "Oh, she's a fellow blogger, fashion enthusiast, all that stuff." And I remember sitting there asking her, "Oh, do you think I could do an ebook?" And she says to me. For sure, you should totally do it. And I said, oh, it's just that I don't have the money that I would need to pay a photographer, buy all the things, da da da. Then she says to me, you know, we should just use Shilendida, who's a natural hair enthusiast, has a salon as well. We should just use her camera and shoot. We shot the images. That book never came out. It still exists, though. There's a folder of it that exists on my hard drive. The images that just didn't blow me away. Then come 2019. Like I want to say, July, it became much more clearer to me what I wanted to deliver in my first ebook, the kind of information that I wanted to give people, how I wanted people to consume it as well. I didn't want people to just get this ebook and then they're just like, it doesn't even have information. So then we started working on it, started building. I think I've reshot like three to four times, but that was just because I would set out the layout and I'm just like, it doesn't look good. It's not giving the information that I need. It needs to be much more affordable. That was some of the guidelines that I stuck with because I've noticed in the market that we're in, or just globally. We try to show people that healthy eating is this expensive, over-glorified thing. Like, oh my God, you need almond milk? Do you really? Unless you're lactose and da da da. But I just wanted to simplify the jargon that you're given too much of, to the point where you're just like, I, I get it now. I need the right nutrients to get to my food goals. African food is delicious, but we we're not eating the right nutritional nutritious things. There is. An abundance of nutritional food in Africa, and I just feel like for the longest time, the story, especially to Kenyan food, has just been like, let's boil the food, let's just cook some managus, which is a form of vegetable here. I just wanted to ensure to show that the basic of food, be it the Kenyan food that you eat that's boiled, can be made so delicious that it will make you be so removed from eating it the way you grew up eating it. And flavors are so important to build. There's so much room of it to build, and that is what I want to constantly bring to Kenyan food or just African food. Period. And man, we need to stop eating boring food. <laughs> Fear launching this ebook, and I'll share this. I was experiencing fear based on what my friends were going through. Mm -hmm. So their businesses—I hope my friends are not going to be upset with this—but their businesses were kind of going through some rough patches.、Mm -hmm. So it's interesting how we can absorb other people's fear because they're so fearful. They're like, "Oh my God, my business is not doing well." So you start absorbing that fear and saying, "Oh my God, when I launch this ebook, I, I might just sell one." Right, and I won't even lie. I applied that logic. I was like, I think I'll just try and see if I can sell ten. First day, I sold 150 books. I was like, what? The site was. We were experiencing so many glitches that when we said we were live, and then the site went down, there was already three purchases. They'd already surpassed my one. <laughs> Yeah, that was. I adopted other people's fear. I adopted fear of will people find this book 
useless. Mm. I, I projected so many things that I felt like didn't need mm. to be ever been projected. I should have just continuously trusted my gut. I had produced a great quality work of product, uh, mm. product but man, how I absorbed other people's fear to the point where I got shocked that I had surpassed my goal of one <laughs> in one day. And yeah, I just, I'm just thankful for the support. It's really reignited more out of me. It's reignited this, man, if you build something, even if you speak to 20 people, they're still going to come. You know, when we speak about fear, fear for me doesn't just exist once and it goes. For me, fear is something that is continuous. You're going to keep battling it and how you... The only way to challenge fear is to take it head on. For, I don't even think it's just post my ebook, but actually it is post my ebook. I sometimes start to think, oh my God, there's another food blogger who's going to do something much more bigger and phenomenal than me that's going to make me be forgotten about. But I stopped having to think about that. One thing that's reassured me is I do have a fan base. I do have a loyal, you know, following of people who really love what I do. Those are the people I should focus on. Find that little fear is going to creep in the back, but I'm going to keep attacking it. And how am I going to keep going at it? I'm going to make another product. If it fails, I made it. Right? I learned from those lessons. But fear still exists. It's just, it's okay. Sometimes you're there sitting, cooking up something and... I'm just like, is anybody even going to like this recipe? You know, when you develop things and you're just like, is the pricing even right? Are people going to buy it? And then you see one sale. You're like, wow, that's so little. I needed three. So, I fell in love with fitness three years ago because it, if there's something that I really, really apply from working out is, you see when you're on a treadmill and you just get to pay attention not to fall, right? Mm. You can't start looking at the next lane. You're on the goddamn treadmill. Ebu, run. <laughs> you will fall. There's a, a big thing that we do. We like to look at the, what the next person do. And I experience it at the gym. Sometimes I have to remind, girl, focus on your lane. The minute you start paying attention to somebody else's lane, you'll get lost in that sauce. It, not to say that you shouldn't look at another lane and just be like, oh, what are they doing? But just don't get sucked in and start thinking you're lesser than, you're not great. Everybody has their own greatness. Every single person has their own greatness. The way to unlock the greatness is to challenge the fear. Catch our next African stories in the next episode. So if you check out the description of this podcast episode on whatever platform you're listening to it from, you will see a link to check out Miss Mundy's ebook and you can also buy it as well, especially now that you know the full story behind it and you can hear how passionate she is about it. You can hear the fears that she had around working on that project. Man, fear is hectic. And I used to think that you get to a point where fear just completely disappears, but I think not anymore. I think the fear remains there when you're trying to do something that you're passionate about. But the trick is making sure that fear doesn't stop you from actually doing the thing. Speaking of things that I'm passionate about... Legally Clueless is top of that list. And we are turning one year old on the 18th of March. I'm so excited. I'm so proud. And to celebrate, I'm throwing a storytelling party on the 18th of March, 7 p.m. at Lava Latte, which is a brilliant artistic space stroke restaurant along State House Road. So what I'll do is in the description, I'll put a link to Lava Latte so you can know exactly where it is. Entry is absolutely free. So what happens at the storytelling party is that some of the stories you've heard on Legally Clueless will 
be shared live by the actual storytellers. So you've heard their voice, now you get to watch them tell the story live. And then there's also slots for you who comes through to tell your story as well. I literally just want to extend this space into like face-to-face space where we can, as human beings, connect with each other through our stories. It's going to be such a fantastic night. I can feel it. Even though I'm so nervous, I'm so scared. Let me tell you, in my head, this past week, I think I've canceled this gig in my head like 10 times. But I'm like, no, I really want to hang out with the people who listen to the podcast. I really want to celebrate this as well because one year is worth celebrating. Um, and I want to create the space. What's also really dope is Roning Productions have created this super dope animation of one of the stories that's going to be shared at the storytelling party. So if you go to our Instagram page, which is Legally Clueless Podcast, you will see the animation. It is hilarious because it's one of our favorite stories on the podcast. I don't know if you remember the story by Kadzo when she talks about dating this guy, Brian, and then finding out he's married. Yes. There is an awesome animation. You have to check it out on our Instagram page. But just to give you a taste of some of the stories that we've really enjoyed on this podcast, listen to this. Usually the artist gets paid at least a percentage before they set foot in the hotel. Nothing of the sort happened. Before that, of course, there has to be rehearsals. We were refused to get on the stage because um, because Chris Brown. We went to West Africa, home of my feces. <laughs> I'm not married in church, so I don't have a ring. I bought myself a ring for my travel. So, like, post-marriage begins. So, of course, the first thing you do as a man is you go on a rampage. <laughs> this is where now the legally clueless part comes in. I knew I was letting go of this person who I've known for five years as a musician and this was the night I'm letting go of her. You know, even if I'm being fired it's not because I didn't give it my best like I really worked hard, blah 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 you know, giving myself those speeches I think it was a Sunday and I just started having this panic attack because Monday meant I was going back to work. Then our principal is called in Are you trying to organize a strike? Are you trying to burn this school? I had not even thought that it's humanly possible to actually burn a school. So I get in and this hotel does not look anything like the photos on Booking.com, guys. Okay, the name of the drink is Kokoko. And uh, it has hibiscus juice and then cane spirit and then a, a touch of mint. The shot is ginger and akpetesi. Akpetesi is the name for the local cane spirit. It's very potent. You don't, you don't drink it and smile. If, if, if you don't make a face, then there's something wrong with you. So I'm a man, you know. It was that time of the night, like, hey, my, my blood was running to the right direction. I saw this woman, I was like, hey, hi. And she was like, do you have $500? No, comrade, I think you need to rethink your strategy. It does not work. Accordingly, you know, I think we need to redesign the package. Oh, my word. Just listen to that makes me so excited. I cannot wait for the 18th of March. I've given you a lot of notice, enough time to move things around in your schedule. 7 p.m. Lava Latte. Entries free. Come through and that celebrates both Legally Clueless turning one year old, but also ourselves through our stories. 
And that's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.